Our scripture for today comes from Ezekiel 37, 1 through 14. The Valley of Dry Bones. The hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, here's the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound. And the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then the Lord said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come, breath from the four winds and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as I was commanded and breathed and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Therefore, prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. My people, I'm going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord. When I open your graves and bring you up from them, I will put my spirit in you, and you will live. I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken, and I have done it, declares the Lord. A remarkable thing took place on February 8th, this year, just last month. It was the beginning of the Asbury Revival. Asbury University is in Wilmore, Kentucky, kind of a suburb of Lexington, a town of about 6,000 residents. It's an important thing to know as I tell you more about this revival. 
Asbury is a Christian liberal arts college, much like Seattle Pacific University or Whitworth University. And uh, most days there, it's pretty routine. Classes, teachers, students, and like a lot of Christian colleges, chapel services. Yes, chapel services, some of them required. Not every one of them really exciting. Not every one of them services that the students really relish the fact that they are required to attend. But on Wednesday, February 8th, 2023, one of these chapel services took place. During the service itself, it wasn't remarkable. The, since this event happened, uh, the, the person who preached the message at that chapel service has gained uh, notoriety, I guess, for uh, the fact that he communicated with his wife coming home from that chapel service and said, well, preached another stinker. I can really identify with that. That, you know, just that feeling of, yep, you know, I, I, I preached and it didn't seem like anyone was listening. But a remarkable thing, the remarkable thing that happened was that after the service was supposed to have ended and students were supposed to get on with their classes and with the business of the university, a few students continued to worship down toward the front. Something remarkable happened in this small group and one of the remarkable things that happened is that it all kind of started when one student began to share and confess some sin in his life to that small group. The atmosphere in that group changed, and they kept on worshiping, and they felt the need to keep on worshiping. And more and more people noticed that they were worshiping, and more students continued to worship, and then the, the, the chapel leaders figured something was going on here, so let's just go with the flow of what's happening. Videos began to be shared on TikTok and Instagram. After all, this is Generation Z we're talking about. Showing people swaying to worship music, weeping, repenting of their sins, and encouraging the testimonies of their fellow students. And during the middle of that first night, it got down to about 50 students. There were 50 students who were there about like 3 o'clock in the morning. And so it probably seemed right then that that was about going to be it. Morning would come, and it would, would be like just a, a wonderful college all-nighter that pr would probably produce a lifetime memory for those people who participated. But it was strange. In the morning, it ramped back up, and people started to descend upon the auditorium. The school administration noticed and supported it. See, Asbury had seen this happen before, back in 1970. Word spread through social media on campus and then to surrounding campuses. And for the next couple of weeks, this auditorium in this Christian university, in this town of 6,000 people, there were 15,000 people who attended services each day. Each Eventually, 50 to 70,000 visitors came to Wilmore. And these visitors came from colleges around the country and even around the world. And it was ecumenical. Methodists, Baptists, Episcopal, Episcopalians, Roman Catholics. 
And at a certain point, as the crowd started to come, there were specific decisions made by those who, who felt they were shepherding this. They were college students, and they made a decision to, to really highlight the voices of those who were younger than 26. Because this was an experience for this generation, Generation Z, widely spoken of as the least religious generation our world has ever seen. What will come from this experience of the outpouring of God's Spirit? Officially, it came to an end around February 25th, but, but there are still embers and small flames that are alive in the church in the United States right now. There are campuses where there is 24-hour worship going on. And there's you, who either heard about it before and heard it today, or heard it from me. Spiritual revivals or awakenings have happened periodically through the history of the church. And an emphasis on periodic. It's never been the state of being. You know, we just did our study of the early church in Acts. And, and, and amazing things happened on Pentecost, but you notice that the church went on going on as the church, and people came to faith in Christ, and it wasn't the goal of the church to always be in this major spiritual awakening mode, and yet, it happens. And it happened in the late 1970s in Dublin, Ireland. U2 lead singer Bono, whose given name is Paul David Hewson, writes in his autobiography that it was from this heightened time of spiritual sensitivity that the band emerged. I'm going to read a quote from his autobiography. He writes, This all started for us in the late 1970s. Something curious was happening in Dublin. Depending on what you believed, you might say it was a revival, a movement of the Holy Spirit. Gatherings took place all over Ireland where people seemed to be surrendering to their higher power in dramatic ways, the likes of which no one around had seen before. Worshippers would be singing ecstatically before the Spirit appeared to fall upon them, and the tunes would change. We found out later that this was called the charismatic renewal, charisma being the Greek word for gift, a movement that emphasized the New Testament's gifts of the Spirit, sometimes including behavior referred to in the Scriptures as speaking in strange tongues. And he concludes by saying, it was particularly striking that in Ireland, this was happening to both Protestants and Catholics. Revivals go way back, at least all the way back to the vision that the prophet Ezekiel saw in the Valley of Dry Bones. That was a vision of a literal revival. This was God's way of communicating to all of his people Israel that they would be revived and returned to Israel from exile. When all hope was lost, this vision gave them hope that even though they couldn't, it was beyond their imagination. How could they, with no power at all, disperse throughout the powers of the world in that time, sent away? There was no reason no logical reason for any hope that they would have that they would ever return. But that was if it was all done in their strength. It would take 
It would take a God moving in the world to do this. And God gave this message through Ezekiel to God's people to tell them, I can do this so that you will know that I am your God. The Apostle Paul speaks often of the Holy Spirit, who is the life-giving agent of spiritual awakening. From our biblical text in Ezekiel, with help from Romans, we're going to explore the following three points in the remainder of this sermon. We'll explore the truth that God's Spirit works within. We'll discover the importance of paying attention to our inner architecture. I hope you're intrigued. And finally, we'll be encouraged to develop our spirit sense. The truth that God's spirit works within is underscored in this text. In this text from the prophet Ezekiel. There is a a valley where there are bones. Lifeless. That's how we begin to see the picture. And yet by the end of that vision, there are people alive. And there were stages, you noticed, in the, in the telling of this vision. Thank you, Adrian, for your reading of that text. At first, the bones came together. There was that rattling, right? That rattling of the bones, something's moving the bones. And those bones start to be put together. The vision mentions tendons and skin. And pretty soon, there looks like a vast army of bodies. There's just one problem. They have no breath in them. They're not alive. And so God, the sovereign Lord, says to Ezekiel, prophesy, speak this word to the bones. And it all has to do with breath. With God's breath, with the Spirit. Now, the Apostle Paul speaks of this same Spirit that brings life to our experience of human death. He does it in a very profound way in Romans chapter 8. And the text from the New Testament that goes along with Ezekiel's prophecy in the Lenten lectionary is verses 6 through 11 of Romans 8. The Apostle Paul speaks of God's Spirit working within us, bringing life to us from within. And so the idea of there being something that God is doing, part of God's mission in the world, is to do something remarkable inside of us, but in a spiritual way. Think of inner space being an equivalent or basically a a countermeasure to our concept of outer space. Actually, remember, when I was a kid, uh, my first time I ever went to Disneyland, uh, there was an attraction in Disneyland that was called Inner Space. 
raise your hand if you, did, did any of you remember that? I, thank you, because I, I wondered, like, was I just thinking this up? And, and I remember what happened was, you got on these, these very, like, like, Mork and Mindy looking chairs, you know, very 70s space age kind of chairs, and they were on a conveyor belt, and you would, you would be, uh, you go very slow uh, on this ride, and they'd take you in where you'd go into these, these rooms, and then you'd see, you'd see this, uh, if they did this rather effectively, where you'd see the, the same kind of train of these seats that you were on rendered in small miniature on, going on the walls of the, the, uh, of the attraction so it looked like you were going to be shrunk down and you were going to get smaller. Like, honey, I shrunk all of the kids at Disneyland. And, and it was an exploration into, really, the world of microscopic science. And it was a, a reminder, and the way they call it inner space, it's always reminded me that, that yes, there's outer space, and we know we haven't even gotten to the end of, of exploring the far reaches of outer space. But you know, there's inner space, too. Because there's a whole world down there. Some of you who, I just had a conversation with someone who's in a sequence of chemistry classes uh, in her college major. And, and the things that you are going to explore, you know, in those sciences, you know, in chemistry and biology, uh, as you look through microscopes, you're going to see a whole new world emerge before your eyes. And it's a beautiful thing because it shows just the intricacy and complexity of life that God has created. This reminder from our text today that God's spirit works within is a reminder that God is just not there in the vastness of outer space, but that God works in inner space. But inner space is more than just the physical or the material. It also includes the spiritual. And there's geography to explore spiritually within. And one of the ways we can do this is to discover the importance of paying attention to inner architecture. So this is my way of saying, I'm going to give a a shout-out to to Robert Munger. Some people here know him as Bob. Uh, I see some people shaking their head, nodding their head. So Bob Munger was a pastor at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle. He pastored a couple other churches on the West Coast. He's very famous for a small book that he wrote that really helped people understand what it meant to invite God and God's Spirit into more and more and a deeper and deeper sense in your own life. And he titled it, My Heart, Christ's Home. You can still read that, and I highly recommend it. Become an expert in that book. If you can memorize it, fantastic. It's one of the great classics, and it's very short, by the way. But what Bob Munger was doing is he was helping people explore their inner architecture. Through just this image, it's a helpful image of a home and the different rooms of the home. For those of us who play, raise your hand if you play video games at all. Yes, some gamers. We've got some gamers representing uh, all kinds of ages. So video games, remarkable. We've had some members of our church over the years who have been uh, designers of video games for, for uh, their career. And, and they are basically every day working to create the code that creates the inner architecture of an entire world inside a video game. 
So one of the things that if you're not a video game player, that you have to understand why people are so passionate and why Generation Z is so passionate about video games, is they are exploring an inner world that would blow you away. The detail, what's happening there. They are, those gamers are exploring inner architecture. They're exploring whole worlds. But what we're seeing in these texts, this text from Ezekiel, and then the Apostle Paul's writing in Romans 8, is that our spiritual lives are like this. We have a relationship with God. God's Spirit does something within us, and we have to expand our understanding of what's inside us, what's our inner architecture. So for some of us, we think of our literal heart, right? So God, we invite Jesus into our heart, and it's a little space right here. You go ahead and touch your heart, if you like. It's just this little space right here. But you know, Bob Munger said, said, yeah, it's like inviting him into your heart, but he said, yeah, it's like inviting him in the front door, but also, you know, there's the living room, and also there's the kitchen, and there's also that closet, you know, where you hide the things you don't want anyone else to see. What if we continued that and explored our inner architecture, maybe spurred on by, by just the massive worlds that gamers are, are developing and showing us? Romans 8, Paul speaks of what's at issue within us is that there is a power other than God. He calls it the flesh. This isn't, when Paul uses the word the flesh, he doesn't mean just something physical as opposed to spiritual. It's really the, the power, the evil power that, that, that basically is working against what God wants to do. And he says that those powers are aligned against God. It's really all the crazy ideas that can reign within our inner architecture when God doesn't reign. R-E-I-G-N. So what you'll encounter in almost every fantasy video game is some center of power. Someone is in charge of that world. Oftentimes, it's an evil power. And your job, your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to try to do something about that. But our lives are the same way. There's an inner architecture where there can be something opposed to God that is calling the shots within. And it's amazing, the correspondence between the shots that are called within our inner architecture and what shows up in real life. The person calling the shots says, you're the most important person in the world, no matter what anyone else says. Don't care about how it hurts other people. Guess what? You're going to live a life that does that. But the amazing thing is the Apostle Paul says, hey, God's project is to go in there and take the throne. God wants to reign in that inner world within us. In that inner architecture, there is a place where there is a throne room, which by the way, in another example from 20th century evangelical theology was the four spiritual laws. Do you remember picturing a throne? And who's on the throne? Is the self on the throne or is God on the throne? There's a throne in the inner architecture of our lives. And the Apostle Paul, and really all of Christian tradition is reminding us, God wants to come into that throne and bring his spirit, his life, into that. Now, all of that interiority, I think for some of you, 
uh, especially if you're very scientifically oriented, you're kind of saying, okay, Kurt, I understood the inner space idea, because yes, okay, science. But then, like, where is all this interior stuff? It does have to do with the, really, the mystery and just the wonder of the human mind. The sense that, yes, our brain and our nervous system is how we experience or how we interpret God's code or God's signals. That's how we interpret it. So when we talk about the heart or what's inside us, we are talking about what we think of when we think. It's more than that. You know, in the Christian tradition, we're never going to say, oh, it's just a mind thing. But it does have to do with our brains and how we interpret what's within. One of the things in the Christian tradition that helps remind us that we have interiority is breathing. Go ahead and take a deep breath right now, and then slowly exhale it. Bringing air into your lungs and paying attention to that is something that over the years has been connected intentionally to Christian prayer. And that's not a mistake or an accident. It actually has to do with a small note that if you want to take out an NIV Bible and look up Ezekiel 37, it actually gives you the note about the Hebrew word that is translated both breath and spirit. The word is ruach. It's, a, it's one of those onomatopoeia words, right? That, that sounds like, it, like it, it is pronounced ruach. And it is the word for spirit in the Old Testament. And in Ezekiel's vision, it's also the word for breath. And so that's why you have hymns that say, breathe on me, breath of God. What are we talking about when we say that? We're talking about God's Holy Spirit. It's the same thing as saying, God, give me your Holy Spirit. So breathing, taking time to breathe in and pay attention to our breathing actually can be a very helpful thing to our prayer lives because it reminds us that God is working within us at the spiritual level. But what's at stake? Never forget that there's a lot at stake. There's a realm inside, and it's about who is on the throne. The Spirit is all about life and peace. That's what the Apostle Paul says happens in our lives when we are governed by the Spirit. Finally, we're encouraged in these texts to develop our spirit sense. I'm going to come back to you two really quick. Famously, if you're a, if you're a fan of the band, you know the, kind of the, the worst-kept secret, which is three of the band members are Christian believers and, and were very serious Christian believers from the beginning and have remained so. One of the members is not. How has that been able to work? Bono and The Edge and drummer Larry Mullen Jr. Uh, were caught up in this awakening in the Dublin revivals in the 1970s, but bassist Adam Clayton wasn't into the faith thing. And there was always a bit of a gap. He, Bono, first among, uh, of anyone to give credit to, uh, to Adam for his patience when they would sit around and pray about what they should do prayers for discernment. He didn't stand in their way. But at many places in Bono's autobiography, he actually shares a little bit more about Adam's story 
and noticing a faith-like surrender in Adam's journey of sobriety. He writes this. He says, Adam tells me that in AA meetings, they call it bottoming out. You're robbing your own bank and you haven't enough gas for the getaway car. Kaput, rock bottom, end of the road. This is a picture of the Valley of Dry Bones. It's over. It's rock bottom. And then he goes on to say, the moment of surrender is the moment you choose to lose control of your life, the split second of powerlessness where you trust that some kind of higher power better be in charge because certainly you are not. I was reminded last weekend at Hal Hunt's memorial service, I was in a conversation with a wonderful person of faith who was a member of this church for a long time. She lives in another town right now. But God's spirit breathed into her life in concert with her journey out of addiction and into sobriety. And if you were here around those days, whenever we shared with prayer, you know who it is because she would stand up and introduce herself by name and say, I'm an alcoholic. And yet she, she's continuing to be sober and she's just an incredible story, an example of the Spirit of God coming alive within her life. And many on that journey have assisted her. And many Christians here at North Creek through the years have been in recovery. And that's been a part of their life of faith. And all of this speaks to the fact that God revives from within. The Apostle Paul says in Romans 8, but if Christ is in you, even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to you. So here's three quick things, as I conclude, to develop your spiritual sense. Number one, watch your weakness. Watch your weakness. The Apostle Paul says in Romans 8, 26, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. You want to see what the Spirit's doing in your life? Look to where you acknowledge you don't have your own personal power. You're weak. It could be a struggle with sin. Remember back to what I said about the Asbury awakening? It started with someone saying, I don't have control over this sin. I'm weak. I need God. That's where you start seeing the Spirit work, even if you're just a pile of bones on the desert floor. The Spirit moves and breathes into us. The Apostle Paul continues in Romans 8, talking about the Spirit groaning in support of us. And speaking of groaning, God is in the groans, so think of your suffering and your pain. That's where the Spirit of God comes alive within us. The Apostle Paul, again in Romans 8, talks about, he uses the illustration of the pains of childbirth. How new life is brought forth through painful circumstances. A few years ago, Bono wrote a song called Yahweh. It's in the 2004 album, How to Dismantle an Atomic Bomb. Yahweh, Yahweh, always pain before a child is born. Pay attention to the pain. And three, finally, compose prayers of offering and use the word take. Bring the word take to the Lord. 
Explore your inner architecture, and when you get to the Lord, when you meet the Lord, get down on your metaphorical knees, lift up your hands, and say, take me. Take my life and let it be. How Bono writes it in this song, take this shirt, polyester white trash made in nowhere. Take this shirt and make it clean. Take this soul stranded in some skin and bones, Ezekiel. Take this soul and make it sing. Take these hands, teach them what to carry. Take these hands, don't make a fist. Take this mouth, so quick to criticize. Take this mouth, give it a kiss. Take this city, a city should be shining on a hill. Take this city, if it be your will. What no man can own, no man can take. Take this heart, take this heart, take this heart, and make it break.